0: Okay, I trust we've all found Galatians 5.16. Why don't we stand and read together? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Please be seated. Over the last two weeks, uh, we've been looking at the power and sufficiency of the cross and the victory that we can have in Christ Jesus, by what he accomplished on the cross. And that's an important distinction because the cross that I'm speaking of is not this, just this piece of wood or this piece of metal, but it was a reference to what Jesus actually did and what he accomplished. And just a reminder from last week, this is what um, the cross entails. It's the, bo- the basis of God's total provision for every believer. Every spiritual gift and blessing we have in this lifetime and for the next was satisfied by what Jesus did. It's also the basis for Jesus' total defeat of the devil, the power of sin and the penalty of sin and death. Now a church that had lost sight of this vision and the sufficiency of what Christ accomplished was Galatia. They were a church, as you remember, um, were a church that returned to the law. They believed it was a Jesus plus gospel. Faith in Jesus, yes, but to be fully righteous and set apart for him, you also must observe to the law. Circumcision and feasts and festivals were a big part of their, their belief system. And so we looked at six reasons why, from Paul in chapter three alone, why observing the law was not a requirement for faith in Christ. One's righteousness for one to be saved did not require the law. It was purely by faith, and we looked at six reasons. But not only was the law not necessary, any attempt to be perfected by the flesh, as he put it, was to put oneself in bondage. And in chapter five, as he goes into further his argument, Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be a subject again to a yoke of slavery. For Paul to be making the law part of your faith in terms of making you right before God was to be enslaved. It was like you're in slavery under a master. And we, again, we looked at the reasons why. But he saw that as being slavery, but Christ had come to set you free from this slavery, to release you from this bondage. And so in verse 13, before we get into our chapter, look what he says. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, returning to the law. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, In the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another take care that you are not consumed by one another how does one walk in freedom how does one walk in the victory that Christ has provided for us and not using the law to do so how does he do this how are we to do this Verse 16, you are to walk by the Holy Spirit. You walk by the Holy Spirit, you will be free. You will not be a slave and you will be able to not carry out the desires of the flesh. So, what does this exactly mean? What does this look like? Well, let's look at our first lesson together this morning. Walking by the Spirit enables believers to triumph over the flesh and the law. Verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Notice in these verses that Paul is very realistic about a battle that goes on in a Christian's life. There's a war within ourselves in the Christian life. There's two opposing forces vying for our allegiance and vying for our loyalty to Jesus. And they're in opposition to one another. On one side, there's the Holy Spirit who's living inside you vying for your allegiance. On the other side, there's this thing called the flesh that has desires for your life. Since they're opposing forces and they dictate the war in our lives, it's probably really good to define these things. <laughs> so what does it mean? Let's start with the flesh. What does it mean to be um, carrying out the desires of the flesh? Well, if we look up here on the, on the screen, there are two, uh, there's one option for the flesh. It can be a reference to the physical body, right? Like your bones, your muscles, like your skin, the flesh. When, when Jesus came into the world in John 1.14, it says that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus became a human being and dwelt among us. In that sense of the word, flesh is got no sin attached to it. Flesh is just the reality of being a human being, and Jesus being human was not sinful. So flesh is neutral, if you will, in the area of sin. But the way Paul uses it here, flesh is different. Okay? Flesh is really this rebellious nature within us that pulls us towards sin. Let's look at the Galatians chapter 5 and the three places that flesh is used and look at the, de- the definition we can come up with here. In verse 16, he says there are desires attached to the flesh. In verse 17, it says it's an opposition to the Holy Spirit. And in verse 24, which is a major one, he says here that the flesh has passions and desires. The flesh has passions and desires. So again, the flesh, to have passions and desires can't be a reference to the muscle tissue in your body. It's something else going on. And it's this thing inside of us um, that sort of rebels against the Holy Spirit. Using different phrases, it's kind of like this animalistic craving within us that has a bent towards sin. Or you could say all of us have the nature of a rebel inside of us. These feelings and desires that oppose God's will. I have a phrase... And probably a really good illustration here that I use, and I know Dan and I have talked about this a lot. It's, it's uh, this guy right here. This guy right here. It's the ugly green man inside all of us. Every single one of us has the flesh, this ugly green man that looks like Bruce Banner, this normal human being, and then something happens. And it triggers this ugliness in you, this monster that wants to come out and oppose the will of God and his loyalty to Jesus, your loyalty to Christ. You have this ugly green man. At the same time, you have the Holy Spirit. You can understand why Paul says these things are in opposition to one another. They're in opposition to one another. What's it mean to walk by the Holy Spirit? Well, remember from the illustration we used with the Rempels when they were up here last week. The Holy Spirit is who you receive when you give your life to Christ. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, notice I said you receive, like, um, it's who you receive, it's not an it. I catch this in Christian language all the time. It, it, it. The Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit's a living being inside of you. It's about a relationship. You see, when you put your faith in him, it's about God coming to indwell you. I want to show you this incredible passage from the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 5. Ananias is is, uh, lied about how much money his land was worth. And Peter has been given a revelation, a word of knowledge by God, that Peter's lied to him. Notice how Peter addresses the Holy Spirit. So he says to Ananias, who's lied about his, his financial uh, prosperity, he says, why has Satan filled your heart and you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Continuing his thought, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. Peter, has no problem interchanging the Holy Spirit with God. To lie to God is to lie to the Holy Spirit, to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. So you have now God living inside of you when you receive the Holy Spirit. So he's inside of you, you, but you now are told to walk with him. Other verses in here say be led by him. So what does that mean? Well, walking, as you might imagine, means to follow, (laughs) to be in step with. And walking in the Bible is used as a reference to a habitual way of life, a practice. So, for example, Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 um, was described here as walking before God and being blameless. Solomon in 1 Kings 3.14 was approached by the Lord and he said to him, if you walk as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So what does what mean for David to walk? Was it a one-moment decision? No. It was a habitual practice in life. It was a lifestyle. And I was talking to John Shades yesterday in Ireland and he gave me this, uh, we we're talking about this and he gave me this like really good picture. You know the British soldiers that you see at Buckingham Palace with the red suits and the big furry hats? Okay. When they change guard or they're walking with one another, they are completely in unison in step. So if you had six of them walking together, if from the naked eye, you would see no difference between their stride patterns, their, their, how much in line they were. Everything they do is in sync. And this is what he's saying to us. He says, I want you to walk like a British soldier in the army. Everything the Holy Spirit does, you do. Everything that he is, you are. You should see God in you and you side by side. And as God moves, you move. As God is faithful, you're faithful. As God is patient, you're patient. And there should be no difference. The problem is there's an ugly green man inside of us. And so when God moves, the Hulk comes out at times in our lives. And here's what gets interesting, right? Because Paul says the Holy Spirit and the flesh are in opposition to one another. On one side you have the Lord in you, his presence, and the other the ugly green man that wants to come out and play. And Paul is clear, you do not remain neutral in this conflict. You're not neutral in this conflict. You're serving one or you're serving the other. You live for one or you live for the other. And so how do you gain victory in this war? You walk by the Spirit. And how do you walk by Him? If if He's a living force inside of you, you yield to Him. You surrender your life to His control. You hear His voice, and your attitude is this. Not my will, but yours be done. No to the ugly green man. Yes to the Holy Spirit. So what does this look like? Okay, kids. You're at home. And your brother or your sister are bothering you. And uh, everything's going fine. You're having a great day. And next thing you know, you feel this ugly green man rising up inside of you to defend yourself, to put down your brother, your sister, and to get upset with them. And just about as you're going to freak out at your brother or sister, the Holy Spirit says, I've got a better way for you. I would like you to respond in self-control. I would like you to be patient. I would like you to be faithful and so you have a choice I call it coming to a T-intersection in your life you're driving your car and you come to a T-intersection you can't go straight it's left or right the Holy Spirit's to the left and the ugly green man's to the right and you have a choice to make am I gonna go God's way am I gonna go the Holy Spirit's way and respond and be led by him Am I going to walk by him, or am I going to carry out the desires of the flesh? And adults, the list of things that we get pulled into is endless. And the Lord is going to reveal aspects of the ugly green man to us really quickly here as to what those look like and what they are, and what he wants from our lives instead. When we're led by him, Paul makes this declaration in verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what does that actually mean? Well, I think this is what Paul is saying. Paul is difficult to understand, but I think it's what he's saying. Remember what the law resulted in from the last two weeks. If you obey the law as a means to salvation, you're under a curse. Chapter 3, verse 10 you also know that being under the under the curse that all the law does, according to 319, is reveal your sin. So the law doesn't save you, it just tells you you're a sinner. So there's no salvation, no freedom, nor victory found in that. But if you're living by the Spirit who's in you and He's guiding you, you're no longer under the law. You're not under a curse anymore. You're free from the power and penalty of sin. And the Spirit grants you the ability to conquer the desires of the flesh. So you're not under the law if you're led by the Holy Spirit. There's no curse on your life anymore. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you shows you that the law doesn't save. It is not necessary because the Spirit's in you by grace, by faith. So, how do you know if you're walking by the Spirit of the flesh? How do you know if it's the Holy Spirit in you or the ugly green man that wants to come out of you? Well, this leads us to the next lesson, and I love this by Paul. The consequences of life in the flesh and life in the spirit are easy to discern. There's no guessing game as to which one you're in. Verses 19 through 23. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the patient, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul says here, whether you're yielding to the flesh or yielding to the Holy Spirit is no great mystery. It is plain as day. It can be seen in your life. The character that you see, the fruit that one's life displays, demonstrates whether the flesh or the Spirit is reigning. And so he gives sort of four categories of flesh and i've i've divided them up in this way and let's look at them together so the first is sexual immorality the second is the occult the third vices that disrupt community life and fourth self-indulgence now i've divided these up for you so that you can see them more clearly so we'll move on to the next slide so sexual immorality he defines them as immorality impurity and sensuality now These are hard to always sharply distinguish, they kind of fall as sort of one category. But let me just sort of try to distinguish them to the best I can. Immorality is really any sexual sin outside of a marriage relationship. It's any sexual sin outside of a marriage covenant. God designed sex to be um, embraced within the loving confines of a marriage. Anything outside of that results in immorality. Impurity is any sort of defilement that's generated by sexual sin. And sensuality is a lack of self-restraint. It's this unbridled passion that kind of flaunts itself. In the area of the occult, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry being the worship of anything that's really outside of the Lord. Can't serve two masters, Jesus says. Right? It's either him or whatever else. So the worship of anything outside of who Christ is. And sorcery is really this whole thing about, you know, um, well, sorcery at the, at the root of it is this idea that you'll trust in anything outside of the Lord to manipulate your circumstances or to, to bring your, what you desire to the, uh, at, at, at an end. Really? To get the, someone, like the forces out there to really make life better for you or to change your circumstances. Things like horoscopes, crystals, psychics, palm readers, and so on. People that you believe can change your destiny or by reading them that they'll make a difference in your life. As opposed to the Lord. How about vices that disrupt community life? Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, and so on. Enmities is really the hatred that lies at the root of discord or any feuds that we have. This attempt to inaliate people, inaliate people from one to another. person of strife is, has a contentious attitude. It's the people that always like to fight. You know who they are. You might be one of them. You just love to always fight. That's strife. Jealousy, I'll put that in the same category as envy, because they're kind of interchangeable at times. But it's the desire to possess what others have. And if you don't have it, it results in a grudging spirit that cannot bear to see another person's prosperity. Outbursts of anger, that's pretty evident. You have an uncontrolled temper. Disputes, you have a contentious disposition and you're selfish in your ambitions. It's about self honor and praise and therefore you don't care about other people. Dissensions and factions, you're a divisive person. You seek to create sex or parties and get people divided against one another to sort of join your team. How about self-indulgence? This is in the category of uh, drunkenness and carousing. And uh, just throw that up there, Kevin. Self-indulgence, drunkenness and carousing, really it's the person who loves the wild party life. Again, not too hard to figure that one out. What's the commonality in all of these fleshly works? Self is at the center. It's about what you want, what you desire. It's really about life independent of God in those particular areas. So instead of depending on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide, it's about you being the center and leading and guiding. Instead of you being dependent on God to fulfill fulfill you in those areas, it's about self-fulfillment. So those are some of the works of the flesh. What does it look like when you are led by the Holy Spirit? Well, he talks about them here, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and so on. Now, what's important about these virtues is these virtues are of the Holy Spirit himself, right? These are the fruits of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit himself, the Lord actually can manifest all these fruits in his own life. Was the Lord kind, patient, peaceful, good, faithful, self-controlled? Of course. If the Holy Spirit's indwelling in you, he's going to bring out the fruit that's... that of himself in your own life. And if God's living in you, you're going to express his nature to the world as he transforms you. The law does not produce a transformed life. Rather, walking in step with him does. Here's the thing about yielding to the Holy Spirit. Yielding is relationship orientated. I was thinking about this more and more what's what is like I stole this line by the way this is not me. I give credit where credits due but a man said this to me one time religion at its source is trying to make the flesh behave. right? Oh I feel guilty. I'm gonna go do this to make it right or I know God wants me to do this, so I'm just going to try harder next time. Religion's about the trying to make the flesh behave. The cool thing about being led by the Spirit is you've already been accepted by God. The fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you means that you've already been accepted by Him. I'm not trying to make anything right between me and God. It's already right. But because of His love for me, I'm now going to choose to love him in return. So, with being led by the Holy Spirit, it's not about me trying to make myself acceptable or trying to make my flesh behave. I'm responding to a God who loves me, who has what's best for me in mind. If God truly laid his life down for you and died for you, do you think he's going to ask you anything, ask you to do anything that's not good for you? You might not always like the outcome of things, but he knows what's best for you. The flesh doesn't know that. It's got passions and desires that oppose the spirit of God. It comes down to trust in yielding those areas to him. Yielding is relational. Religion is not. Now, here's the hard part about this, but I didn't write this. I'm just the messenger. Paul gives the church a pretty strong warning for those who refuse to yield to the Holy Spirit. Look at 21. He says, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what's really important. Who is he speaking to here? The word you occurs twice. Who is the you he's speaking to? The non-believing community or the church? He's speaking to the church. Those who know Jesus Christ. And clearly Paul's taught them this in the past. He says, of which I forewarn you now, just as I have forewarned you in the past. Paul's revisiting a conversation he had with the Galatians beforehand. And so he's saying, listen guys, if you keep practicing works of the flesh as a habitual lifestyle, I told you this before, and I'm telling you again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, someone might say, Andrew, um, are you saying like, if I sin once, I'm out? Not at all. That's why I love the verses before. King David King David, he says to Solomon, he said, if you walk as my father David did, you will be blessed. How did David walk? Perfectly? No, he had some pretty big blemishes in his life, but the overall practice of his life was submitted to the will of God, even though he obeyed the flesh a a couple times here and there. This is about practice. Practice. You can circle the word practice in verse 21. This is what you're known for. It's a habitual lifestyle of refusing to let the Holy Spirit lead you, and to go in the fruits of the Spirit, and, it, and it's what you're now known for. It's being—it's being, it's being about—it's about practicing outbursts of anger. Meaning, people know you as an angry person who flips their lid, right? people know you to be involved in the occult even though you you're you know you've you've also made a commitment to Jesus Christ and so on this is really important cuz Paul's not messing around here it's like the law doesn't save but neither does it give you license to go and do whatever the heck you want just because you're saved but if you understand the lord in a relational way you just it's this heart desire to serve him because he loves you like crazy And he laid his life down for you. This is really, really important. Which leads me to the final lesson for today. And that's those who belong to Christ have put to death the desires of the flesh. Verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Notice the reference here is not to Jesus' crucifixion, but ours. Who's the crucifixion about in verse 24? He says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. He's not saying, I want you to look back to Calvary. He's saying, I want you to think about what you have done in knowing Jesus since you belong to Christ. You have crucified the flesh. And that's an important word too. It's it's a it's a completed action. Paul says it as already done. The question was, when would we have done that? Well, when you official when you initially made your commitment to him, you would have acknowledged in his death for you that you were going to die for him. And so sin was no longer become part of your life. And there's an important text that helps us with this. It's in Romans. And we did a sermon on this a couple months ago. Listen to this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that our, the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. The best part about this is he's talking about you and I being dead, right? If you've died with Christ, we believe he will we'll live with him. He's talking to living people. The death is purely in relationship to the self, and to the, li- the life of sin that the ugly green man wants to bring out on us. So we're alive physically and alive spiritually, but we're saying, no, we've died to the old way of life, died to the sinful past. And this is why Paul himself can say in Galatians 2:20, for through 2:19 to 20, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. What's the motivation for Paul? I'm going to crucify my own passions and desires of the flesh because God gave himself up for me and he loved me. The essence of why he's doing what he's doing is not to earn God's favor, but to show his love for the Lord. So I've always said this from from the pulpit. We have to view Christianity properly. If we understand Paul, there's two crucifixions at Calvary. Jesus died for us, but then we die for him. And it's motivated all out of love. The mark of a Christian is one who's crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, who seeks to be led by the Holy Spirit because they love the Lord because he first loved us. And I have to do that. I have to crucify the flesh. It's not done for me. And execution is the solution. Execution is the solution. And crucifixion can be painful. I'll give you an illustration to end the sermon. There's a young woman, and actually, teenagers in here especially you those of you 15 16 17 18 listen listen to this very carefully cuz you're just this is right around the corner for your life you're a young woman you're about 19 years old you have a genuine faith in the lord you serve in genesis house you give of your time your talents your gifts you play music up here, you know, whatever, whatever other gifts you have. You meet another young man who checks every box, handsome, chari- charism- has lots of charisma, seems to understand you. Everything's great, but he's not one who belongs to Christ. He doesn't love the Lord. In love and concern, your church family warns you about the dangers of dating such a guy that God loves you and it doesn't see that as the best option for you because you don't share the same values in life. How to parent, how to handle money, how to spend your free time, where to put your service. You as a girl don't um, think too much of it because you think, well, at least he's coming to church with me. That's a big step. But... because of the fleshly passions and desires, you fail to realize the only reason he's coming is because of you, not because of the Lord. At this point, you have two options. And both are painful. Both are painful. One, you can accept the advice of the church, accept the advice of the church, and crucify the flesh. Flesh with the passion and desires that it has. Despite the fact that you realize you might be lonely or may not meet anyone for a long time. Especially now by the age of 19, you really want to be married. So you ignore the counsel and you go and follow the flesh's craving. That's a painful option. That's a very painful option. But here's the second option that is now very painful as well. Even though your Christian community has made um, a plea with you and you've ignored it now, you're now married. Seven years has gone by and you have three children. And one day the husband comes home and announces that he's leaving you because he's sick of your religion and didn't think you'd ever hold on to it as strong as you had just for your whole life. He also announces that not only is he sick of your faith, he's actually found another woman and he's gone. So, which one is more painful? It 19, saying no? Or having two kids? seven years of investment or three kids i guess you said seven years of investment and now working through the pain of divorce when the holy spirit wants to lead you it's not because he is trying to make your life a living hell on this earth it's because he knows what's best for you and he loves you you received him because the lord jesus christ laid his life down for you at calvary He's not going to ask you to do anything that's going to make your life in the long term hurtful to you. But it will be painful in the moment when the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And the ugly green man wants to override the Holy Spirit. The death of the flesh does not mean that believers do not feel the tug to sin but the flesh has been dealt a deadly blow at the cross. The passions and desires of the flesh are not absent, but they no longer have to rule and reign. Those who walk by the Holy Spirit will triumph over the passions of the flesh that formerly dominated them. So what can we learn from today? I'm actually just going to ask you a couple questions. What work of the flesh has the Holy Spirit highlighted to you this morning that you need to bring before the Lord? This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. There's a lot more that could be said, but Paul is probably addressing the ones he's seen maybe in Galatia. But even the ones I listed, I, I am almost positive that the Lord has already highlighted Of those ones, which one is the strongest in your life? Another way to look at it is take the fruits of the Spirit and say, which one am I lacking? Because then you know it's on the side of the flesh. Which one of these fleshly works needs to be once again crucified to the Lord? Second question, what fruit of the Holy Spirit would you like to receive prayer over this morning? When you read those and you go, these are the fruits of the Spirit, I am lacking that one. What can your church community pray for you for this morning that God would start to do a major work in your life? Which one would help you gain victory over the work of the flesh that you highlighted in question number one? Okay, let's pray. Lord, I give you uh, praise and honor for what's transpired this morning. And I know that your Holy Spirit being a living being and alive and well in this place and in us has done his work, spoken to the deepest parts of our life that are often hidden and the parts that we want changed. I pray, God, now as we leave this place that you would continue to be the strong voice and that the people of our church would continue to crucify their flesh. It's a, it's a pastor Thing that we did at conversion, but sometimes we forget that. And so, Lord, we just now want to recommit our lives to you again and crucify the flesh once again leaving here. Thank you for your word and how it's encouraging and strengthening and convicting all at the same time. And may we be a people that uh, honor you and seek to bring your glory and kingdom to Okotoks. Amen.